0: Thank you for joining us for Effective Heart Change, the podcast that will discuss how to apply faith principles to real-life situations. This is Effective Heart Change. And now, your co-host,
1: Matthew. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for joining us today at Effective Heart Change. David, today we're going to be talking about critical spirit. Now, we're just a week away from the election when we're recording this, and the critical spirit is everywhere, both sides. What do you think is the main driver behind this critical spirit? I'm going to go to what I call a knowledge and
0: competency value. People who have a tendency towards being critical of others, what they care about at a high level is doing things right, understanding the right stuff. Now, let me tie that back to the Beatitude, which is Matthew 5, 8, which is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, how can you be any more competent, any more full of understanding, any more full of wisdom than if you correctly see and understand God? So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's interesting, God's pathway to knowledge and competency is actually being pure in heart, humbling yourself, coming at God in a different way. But our culture doesn't believe that. Our culture really takes knowledge as its own thing or it takes skill and training as its own thing. And so there's almost like this exalting of knowledge and competency at a level, at a cultural level, and then you get into what what I've talked about before, we become a productivity culture. Well, guess what? As a productivity culture, I'm going to judge you by what you can produce. I mean, there you're into more of a capitalistic, free enterprise thing. And I believe that's part of the reason why people push back against that today is because, I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to feel judged for what I produce, et cetera. Well, knowledge and competency, if you combine those into a package, what does it do? It yeah, I am going to judge you according to your knowledge. I'm going to judge you according to your competency. You really begin to set up the
1: pathway where that goes into a critical spirit very easily. Because we're definitely a results-oriented Absolutely. society. Absolutely. And if the results aren't there, then you're deemed not worth the time. So if if we're supposed to be pure in heart, and the Lord's version of wisdom is so much different than the world's, how do we exist doing it the Lord's way in a society that only respects the world's way? How do we, how do we flip that? Uh, it can be
0: difficult. Uh, the, the values clash at such a high level, but in a sense, they don't. I mean, I, I would feel like me personally. I can remember literally laying on my bed of a nighttime when I was fairly young. I, I, I can't really quantify that. I just remember I had a basement bedroom, and I can remember laying there. And God, God put something there where I was just crying out, God, give me a heart of wisdom. Give me a heart of wisdom. And so that was going on at a very early age. So I had that God, I believe, put that desire there for me to pursue him and to pursue his understanding. For everything godly, there is a worldly, fleshly, natural man parallel, and the natural man parallel of that is knowledge. God, give me knowledge. I I want to have more knowledge than the guy next to me. In fact, 1 Corinthians 8.1, it it goes into what does knowledge do? Knowledge puffs up. So the tendency when we have knowledge, if I have knowledge, I'm smarter than you. The tendency we have with knowledge is to elevate ourselves and to put ourselves into a place of judgment, i.e., critical spirit. So as soon as I have knowledge or as soon as I have competency, then I begin to judge life in all of that area. A lot of times people today in the whole political speak, they get really upset over some of the language towards free enterprise or capitalism, et cetera. Well, there is actually a link here when you start thinking about that, that that tends to take people into a place of judgment. If, if, if I produce better than you, if I know more than you, then I now have a right to sit in that seat. Now, if we go back to what the Bible talks about, blessed are the pure in heart, is the pure in heart going to go into that kind of a vertical kind of a judgment? And I'm going to say no, because what does love do? Love literally takes a look at the greater good. Love starts taking a look at outcomes. Love values every single person. So if I'm doing the pure in heart kind of knowledge, if I'm doing the pure in heart kind of competency, it looks different. It feels different because I'm more looking, really, maybe even from an administrative point of view, I'm looking at team.
1: So, is that something that on a regular basis, do you find yourself struggling with that? Because you've just laid out that. You were seeking wisdom from a young age. You run the Omega Project, and you are in a position of authority over a lot of people. And most people generally regard you as the smartest person in the room or the most knowledgeable, especially with uh, the biblical things. Do you struggle with slipping in and out of critical spirit, or how have you found a way to stay grounded and not become puffed up with your knowledge base? I struggled at a much higher level than I ever knew. One of the neat
0: things I learned early on that the measure of a man in, in Christ is humility. So I can remember the decade of the 90s where I, I call it whack a mole. It was like a, something would surface in me that was a pride thought, and I, I you know, it's whack a mole. Down, 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 you know. So I spent a decade really working specifically on that area. And after a decade of working on it at a very high level, I'm not sure I made much progress, because when you're trying to work on your own humility, guess what? It, it, it it's just it's counterproductive, self defeating right there. It is. It's like I'm my own judge at that point. I'm the I'm the guy that's doing that. Now, what happened? What really turned that around? We we went through a very difficult time in the church. There was a, a split, and so there was a lot of difficulties during the church from about 2000 to 2003. That was incredible for me in that it was a terrible time of suffering. We've talked about that. It was a time of suffering. It was a time of struggle. It was a time when when almost nobody was reaffirming me that I was doing right or that I had knowledge or that I had understanding. And so I'm in a place where suddenly I'm having to own failure. I'm having to own struggle. I'm having to own all of that stuff. What was interesting as we came out of that time, I started having several people came up to me with this following statement, you're not as arrogant as you used to be. That's a good thing. Well, no. That's kind of like, when did you stop beating your mother? (laughs) Backhanded compliment. Exactly. It's kind (laughs) of like, what do you mean I'm not as arrogant as I used to be? I wasn't arrogant. I spent an entire decade trying to keep myself in humility. You know, I mean, that, that was kind of what was going on. But I had learned enough, grown enough to say thank you and to be polite and to take it back to God. And as I began to look back, this is what's amazing. This was incredible for me. As I began to look back, I could start to see exactly what they were talking about. Which meant that not only was I walking in a greater humility at that point, I also was recognizing the level of blindness that goes on in me and how much that our thought life and what we think about ourselves, how much that's controlled by spiritual flow. So when you're in a critical spirit, you're generally going to be blind to the fact that you're in a critical spirit. So all of a sudden, here I am, around 2003, I'm waking up and going, wow. And I had changed at that point. Then guess what the next great, great jump in my maturing? We started the Omega Project. And I'm taking things that I've learned. I'm taking books that I've written. I'm applying that and it's blowing up on me. And once again, I found out that my knowledge wasn't enough. I found out that my competency wasn't enough and that I had to fully walk in Christ, and it was a total message thing. It, it, wasn't, it was what was coming out of my person. It was coming out of my being. If the right kind of stuff wasn't coming out of my being, that was an in Christ, spiritual flow, love of God sort of thing, if that wasn't coming out of my being, especially with addicts, they're going to get turned off, and they're going to get turned off fast, and instead of having good results, we have bad results. So I went through a period of time where I learned very quickly that my knowledge, my competency really wasn't worth a whole lot. And I had to get that surrender to Christ and learn to walk in Christ, i.e. back to, had to walk much
1: more pure in heart. So for people just in their everyday jobs, when they're struggling with things like this, it almost sounds like don't even aim for the knowledge or the competency part, work on the pure in heart first and let the knowledge and the competency come from the Lord helping you with that. Is, is that what I'm understanding correctly? I like the pure in heart first. I am a
0: knowledge and competency guy. Uh, one of the things I will say from time to time, I'm angry, and, and that's a, I don't know if that's an overstatement, but I'm angry at the church in that we haven't done the knowledge and competency, competency stuff at a high enough level so we are not able to help addicts. We're not able to help someone in depression. We're not able. So I want us as a people of God to grow in our knowledge and competency. That's not, that's not the issue. I, I'm there. I have a heart. I seek after it day after day, and I, and I work at that. But what's so much more powerful when you talk about the pure, do the pure in heart first My greatest knowledge and competency comes when I hear from God. In a situation, if I go with my instinctive reaction as a knowledge and competency person, if I go with my instinctive reaction, it tends to come out of David. When I learn to buffer that and slow that down and combine it with what I call a listening ear towards God and a waiting on God, and I slow the process down. It's amazing how different that even the same words come out. My message changes because it's more of a humility message. So yes, I have to get back to pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's go back to motives. What's what's pure in heart? It's about motives. So a knowledge and competency person very quickly will use these words. Well, let me show you. Let me teach you. Let me educate you. Well, as soon as you go into those words, where are you going spiritually and what is your message to that other person? I'll guarantee you that message that's going to that other person, they're going to be turned off by it. And so the very knowledge and competency that you think you're sharing with that other person, it's not getting there. And you might want to look yourself in a mirror because this is the way people work. So you can be angry at the other person for being inferior or for not caring about wisdom or not caring about knowledge. And, you know, if they were just like me, they would get this message. You can be angry at them if, if you want to, but this is the way people work. So if this really is the way people work, quit playing the fool. Look yourself in the mirror and figure out, I need to speak a better message. So all of this it, it really does tie in back together and yes. And yes, being pure in heart is incredibly important in terms of just moving into true competency. True ability to communicate well. I can't do that unless I'm in that more pure in heart and then the pure in heart wakes up the humility and I mean next thing you know all all of the different facets that we're talking about start working together.
1: Something that you said really struck a chord with me. You can be using the knowledge that you have, and you can be telling somebody the right thing, and yet it's not going to be received. So this happens to me frequently. I want to help people. I am also a knowledge person, and I really pride myself, which is maybe not the best words to choose in this context. <laughs> well, at least the way I talk about pride, yes. <laughs> I enjoy being able to know things and research things, but when I uh, a lot of times try to share that because I am so black and white about things, people get turned off frequently. Now, I've tried to temper that with gentle words, but just like you said, it almost doesn't matter the words that you're using. So for someone like me that is truly trying with a good intention, but it's still not being received the right way, I know it's not all me, but it is part of my issue. How do I work on that so that I can be received better to help other people through different things that I've learned? The best word that I can give you is value.
0: Uh, When I'm working with critical spirit people, they value knowledge and competency at a high level. So when they're looking out around the room, they're literally assigning levels of value according to knowledge and competency. That person's pretty cool. Look at what they're able to do. That person, wow, I really respect them. Their knowledge is incredibly high. We don't even realize we're doing this, but this isn't just critical spirit people. We we all tend to do this. When you start assigning that value, and it's much more instinctive to a critical spirit person who's a knowledge and competency person, when you start assigning those kinds of values, people immediately respond to that. So if I'm trying to get a, a particular piece of information across to someone, there ends up being a value component there as I'm telling them, and it almost, it's, it's very difficult. This, this was huge for me, and I spent 20 plus years working on this, and I'm still working on it, where when you're speaking to them. It's so easy for you to talk down to them and you don't realize you are and then they feel talked down to and then it becomes this incredible mess. One of the things that I love that I hear in terms of feedback, the addicts frequently will look at me and they'll say, how can you, how can you possibly have never been an addict? How can you understand me? How can you connect? Well, first of all, my first answer is I understand spiritual flows. And more than any other thing, we're not addicts. We're not non-addicts. We're spiritual beings. So when I'm talking the language of the spirit and the spirit man, I can absolutely identify with you. But I believe the other part of that, that that is so huge, I've learned to see past struggles. I've learned to see past addiction where I'm seeing who the person is, I'm valuing that person, and I'm trying to talk to them in terms of who they are and how to move from where they are to a better place, they're not hearing the criticism as much as they're hearing the encouragement towards growth. They're feeling valued. And so knowledge and competency people, what happens in our culture? You don't produce, out of here. You know, I mean, it just instead of looking at that person, I, there, there's an example we had. We had a teacher at the school where I was, I was principal, and we had a teacher who was just wasn't making the grade. And the, in general, the, the idea is, well, let's just throw this person out. Well, at that particular point, I, I was just do what I do. I visualized who the teacher was, and I said, you know what? I think if we move the assignment and we move this person from this particular classroom assignment to this kind of thing, number one, if this teacher does this, it's actually going to help this, this, and this situation. So, And, and so let's just put this together. And guess what? Moving that teacher into a new assignment, she flourished unbelievably, and it helped the entire dynamic of the school at that point. So normally what we do, you're failing. You need to figure it out. You need to get together, get it together. But instead, what a lot of times we need to do is we need to back up. We need to see the whole person. We need to value the whole person. And many times we can then adjust things or help them adjust or whatever. But value ends up being probably the most critical piece of the answer to your question.
1: So when it relates to politics... How do we value someone or a whole group of people that we see as are diametrically opposed to everything we stand for? How do you find value in that and the ability to move past that condemnation or that critical spirit? How do you do that when it comes to something like our politics?
0: I'm going to start with uh, the word statesman. What a true statesman does, and that's a bygone era, we, I would we just who is out there who's speaking at this level today. But what a true statesman does is sees through these kinds of issues. And so if you've got liberal conservative or Democrat Republican, they're able to see through those kinds of issues and they're able to validate people for positions, create long-term goals that we can all agree on that are values, that are things we can all agree on and we can work towards that. What's happened in the current climate, number one, it's, it's become very much about power. It's become very much about power. It's become very much about wealth. And so common goals no longer fit. It's, it's I'm going to rule over you. Oh, you're trying to rule over me. And, and, and so it just becomes a war. But the other thing that's happening that is just so crazy, and this illustrates the mix of the different values. Let's just start with a critical spirit. So you have someone who has maybe a critical spirit. They feel like they're better than the other person, but their message isn't getting through. You want to know how I can powerfully impact people? Well, let's throw in a little bit of offense. Let's go to the bitterness thing. If I can gossip, if I can can say things about you in a way that starts to stir up that offense, once that offense takes hold, I through a little bit of a critical spirit, and then just a little bit of a a, a a bitter thing thrown in. Next thing you know, I have a whole lot more power over you. Well, then let's let's take it one step farther. Then I begin to appeal to your pride. Well, we're we're smarter than you. We're better than you, et cetera. And you want to be on the good side. So now I'm fic- I'm stirring pride into that mix. Well, then. Uh, you, you go uh, another step and, and you get into sarcasm or, or you get into all of that. I, I want to read this verse from Titus 3, and it's three nine. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions. Hmm. How about that? Avoid foolish contentions. Strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. What is profitable? Love. When we start looking at the common good, we start working towards that. And again, both sides tend to believe that they have the common good in mind. But, but it's, that's been lost so far back. Verse 10, I love this. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, after the first warning. So you get people who go on TV. At this point, there's no discussion of right or wrong. There's no discussion of values. It literally becomes: if I can shame you, if I can throw sarcasm at you, if I can if I can belittle you in some way, those are powerful because if I can activate those negative flows within you, you tend to think inside of your spiritual flows. If I'm going to campaign. Negative campaigning works because it activates negative flows, which then controls your thought life. How would you like to know that all of the negativity going on out there was absolutely controlling you so much
1: more than you ever realized? Well, I think that's where we're hearing the word bigot constantly, racist constantly, and just a whole slew of name calling and dirt throwing. And it's kind of from both sides. But something you said really stuck out to. You said that you need to find that common good and that that's been lost. I think that's been lost because there's no more God in the picture when it comes to our politics. Yeah, some of them, they play, oh, I'm a person of faith or this, and it's not correct because there isn't that searching for common good because there's no differentiation between good and evil. When you were talking about a statesman looking through the argument and finding common good— my first thought went to something serious, went to abortion. How do you find common good in that? And how do you find value in somebody that is wanting that as an option? I'm not sure that I could do that.
0: Let me give you a verse. And this is out of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. You can't get much of a stronger word in terms of abomination. And he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. When you hit that point of extremes, when you hit that point where you've got a polarization of unrighteousness and righteousness in the biblical sense, those two are just going to be opposed to each other. And there is a level at which there is going to be a war and it is going to be a power fight and you really almost can't avoid that. And frankly, that is some of what's going on in our nation. There is a level where some of the really ungodly things are being exalted to such a level. And if you speak up anywhere, any way against that, then you become an abomination yourself and and much of the language that's going on really highlights that so part of my answer is you can't get away from that part of my answer is you, you know that's where our nation is and i don't know that we can go anywhere apart from a level of war so to speak and i'm not talking actual war not necessarily even talking about ideas, but when I stand up for the things of Christ, it's offensive to a certain group of people. And that's what I mean by war, because as a believer, the way I do it matters. I am not allowed to go out there and to be a jerk. I'm not allowed to go out there and be offensive and belittling. If if I go back to what I talked about in the last segment, If I'm using sarcasm, there's a level at which within biblical parameters that sarcasm is actually even used in Scripture. So there's a level at which sarcasm communicates well. But now let's take the word sarcasm and let's move it to the level of scorn. The Bible talks about cast out the scorner. Huh, cast out. There's no solution for that one. I literally... That's back to the war. That's the abomination back and forth. Cast out the scorner. Cast out the divisive person, and the contention will stop. It'll just shut down. So there are those things that are just at a high enough level that we've got to stand. And and this is what Scripture talks about, the spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians 6. I don't strike back. I don't come back with like kind of response. That's why I brought up the idea of the statesman. I stand. I stand with godliness. I bring the arguments that I need to bring. I vote. I bring legal authority the best way I know how, to do it in a way that's, that's not vengeful, to do it in a way that is not uh, striking back or hurting. Now, there are many people today who have the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, they don't realize what that passage is. That passage was to limit vengeful behavior, which is, you, you strike my eye, I'm taking two from you. There was an acceleration of vengeful behavior. There are a lot of people who believe in an acceleration of vengeful behavior as their way of exercising power. The godly person cannot do that. The godly person has to live within the zone of love and life and building the good of the whole.
1: So this all goes back to heaping coals on the head of your enemy and showing God's love even in difficult circumstances. Something as serious as abortion, we need to take a firm stance against it while at the same time trying to see what their value that they're holding to and why they think it's important but while still standing with the biblical principle, is that kind of the correct idea? Ultimately, I believe heart change is the key. If I have to force you into
0: a behavior, that behavior is A, limited, and when I'm done forcing you or I lose the ability to force you, I'm going to get a rubber band effect and you're going to swing the other way at a very high level. So ultimately, if I'm not able to love you, if I'm not able to build trust with you, I'm not bringing the influence I need to bring to to cause there to be heart change. And I will lose the war of the heart. I will rubber band you to the opposite place that I'm hoping to influence you to be. So yes, Absolutely, that's that is so powerful. I have to bring the message. I have to stand. I have to stand without flinching. But I can't do it back to a critical spirit. If I do it in a way that I'm better than you, I have truth and you don't have truth, and the other person feels put down. Now we have a problem. Now we do have a problem. Period. If you go to John chapter three verses twenty twenty one right in through there, what happens? When the ungodly person is confronted with righteousness, they will feel put down, period. They will literally cause the righteous man to be an enemy. back to the abomination verse. So there's a level at which you can't prevent that from happening. But I'll tell you what, there's a level at which you can accelerate it at a very high level. And as believers, we are not to accelerate that response. We are not to allow them to be able to look at us and go, see, he's just as much of a jerk as I am. Why should I follow Christ? No. There needs to be absolute integrity in our responses.
1: So it's okay to stand firm on convictions as long as we're doing it in a manner that is worthy of the conviction we're standing up for.
0: Manner is huge manner is huge. I can't repeat that enough times.
1: And that is difficult for a critical spirit person, especially when it comes to something as morally clear-cut as a right or a wrong. When you're standing for that, it is very hard to watch how you're speaking it. It easily goes into scorn. It easily goes into belittling. It easily goes
0: into shaming. It easily goes into how many more do I need to list. And so those tools tend to be effective in the short term. They tend to have their, their impact because nobody wants to feel less than. No one wants to feel that. And so if they can, a lot of times people will respond to that by moving to the, quote, desired location so that I move out of my shame place. I move out of my scorn place and I come over and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Can we be good now? And people will respond to that because the value piece is that powerful.
1: You've definitely given me some tips on how I can maybe change my approach a little bit, and I'm hoping that that's helpful for a lot of you listeners out there today, because it's very easy to slip into that critical spirit. David, I thank you for joining us today and working through these difficult issues. You all watching already know the results of the election, so we're going to find out with you after November 3rd. So we just appreciate you taking your time to be here with us, and we hope you have a wonderful day.